0: Um, before we start to read, actually that we're uh, we're studying dating sex, marriage, relationships, sort of everything that falls into that category, um, probably relationships you could uh, you know subsume it all under that and I've heard a couple people say uh, some say to me that um, they're not so much interested in this topic like I'm not dating anybody right now, so is this really applicable to me um, and I want to say a couple things to that, if if you're thinking that, or um, if you think, you you know, you may not invite somebody, well, they're not dating somebody, right? Uh, The number one, um, granted, you may not be dating somebody right now, but maybe one day, right? So maybe it'll be helpful. Um, Number two, it's not just about romantic relationships. Uh, If you've been with us for a couple weeks, you've seen that, that really, what we're saying applies to all relationships, you know, whether it be your roommates, uh, your friends, your parents, classmates, whatever. Um, and then thirdly, uh, I also hope that you've seen that really, uh, because it's about relationships and we're built to be relational creatures, that really, uh, when, we, when we talk about dating and marriage and sexuality, it's really about the gospel. Um, that those things are spiritual issues. Really everything in life is a spiritual issue. But, um, yeah, so I just, I just wanted to throw that out there. That was for free. You don't have to pay any extra for that. Um, So let's read... uh, Make sure I read the right verses. Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 13. And then we're going to skip a few verses. Skip down to verse 20. This is God's word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And he's skipping down to verse 20. The man called his wife, wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. The Bible says that the grass withers and the flowers fade away and that mankind is like the grass. But the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider it further. Heavenly Father, this is your word uh, written long ago but spoken now. And Lord, we pray that you, since you've written it, that you would be here with us tonight by your Holy Spirit and that you would teach it to us, that you would take this word and illuminate its meaning to us, that you would apply it to our hearts, and that you would open up our ears that are stopped so that we might hear, open up our eyes that are blind so that we might see. Lord, we pray that you would do that and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. And as uh, as every week, and I will continue to do, before we start, let me give uh, due credit to uh, guys like Les Newsom and Tim Keller, Ricky Jones, uh, some other ministers whom I have borrowed material from, and uh, I appreciate their help. Um, all right, so we're talking about, well, we'll get there. We'll get where we're talking. Um, have you ever had the experience of being with a at least two, but a handful of little kids, like little like two or three years old. Uh, Maybe you've kept the nursery at church. Maybe you've got little cousins, uh, nieces, nephews, something like that. If you've ever been around like a handful of, say three-year-olds playing, you know that there's going to be one word that's going to appear in those, you know, in your time with them more than any other. And that word is mine, right? You know how this goes. Uh, you put some, some toddlers in a room, you give them any toys, and it's not going to be long until one is snatching it from the other, other one and declaring, mine, even if it's not theirs, right? And then, sure enough, the other one's going to come along, take it back and yell, mine, and then it's on, right? We've all seen it. We've all done it in the past, hopefully. Um, now, the question is, why in the world would a kid do that? Have you ever thought about that? Why would a kid, I mean, he's two, he's three, right? Why would he go over and snatch something and be that mean and say, mine? Because if you think about it, certainly his parents or her parents did not teach that, right? They're not at home working on that. Like, all right, look, when you go in the nursery today, here's what you do. You find the first kid that's got something, take it from them, then uh, yell, mine, right? Say it, say it, let me hear it, right? That doesn't happen. Parents aren't, te- that would be, that would be scary, right? If parents are at home teaching that kind of thing. So why does it happen? I think the answer to that question is, is actually even scarier than the fact that, you know, than the potential of a parent teaching that to a kid. Because the reason that's there is because they're born with it. Nobody taught that kid how to do that. Nobody taught you how to do that. We're, people are born like that. We're born because of, because of what we're reading here, what we call the fall, right? The fall of mankind in Genesis 3. Because of that, you and I, and everybody you've ever known, are born sinners, and what that means is that we are inherently selfish, that we are fundamentally, it's built into who you are, unfortunately, we are fundamentally selfish, and we care about ourselves more than anybody else. That's why you see little kids acting like that, right? Um... And so we naturally enter into relationships of whatever kind. We naturally enter into relationships concerned about ourselves first and not anyone else, not the other person. Um, and so it's helpful to us. Last week we uh, sort of did the first part of this discussion. We looked at the fall. And then uh, two, um, I guess what I call the fallout from the fall, two aspects of, of how we operate that come from that, right? We talked about how we are... Because of that, we're insecure. We're afraid, right? We're insecure people. And we see that bleed out in our dating lives and and uh, all our relationships. And um, and that we hide from one another, right? And this week, tonight, I want to look at three. Uh, three more. It's part two. I want us to see, and I even included a little handout, or a, what do you call it? Outline there. First, that rebellion... Rebellion is built into who we are. Secondly, blaming. We love to blame others. Thirdly, suspicion. We're suspicious of each other. Okay, so number one, effects of the fall that affect our relationships. Rebellion. Um, One of the effects of the fall, unfortunately, is that now you and I, I guess you could say, are hardwired, so to speak, to do wrong. And that you and I like to do wrong for no other reason, a lot of times, than the very fact that it's wrong. Um, I think we see some of that, I think it's more implicit in this passage, but it's definitely in this passage, right? The, a big part of their temptation to eat the fruit is because God told them not to. I mean, that's where we get the concept of forbidden fruit, right? Um, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans seven says this. Uh, he he basically echoes that. Uh, he echoes that what I say is true, right? Whatever, right? The other way around. I'm echoing what Paul says here, Romans seven, seven and eight. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not. I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Paul's basically saying here, what I'm basically saying is that when you hear a command, when you hear do not do whatever, that in your heart and not so deep down in your heart, all you want to do is whatever, right? And, and certainly you know this is true. Um, if the sign says wet paint, do not touch, I mean, come on, you want to, whatever, that's wet, right, you want to touch, uh, I worked at a church in Jackson, Mississippi, before we moved here, and there was a door in one of the main hallways, this big church, one of the main hallways that I walked down a lot, there was just this little closet door, and it just said, do not open, and I have no idea what was in there, and every day I walked by it, and I thought, I thought about it, and I honestly thought about one day just just opening it and being like, you know like How do you like that? right? I did it. hopefully I had enough you know I think I had enough uh, wherewithal i 'm an adult enough to know that somebody probably put that sound there for a reason um, you know i don 't know what heavy thing's going to fall out and hit me but but you know how it is, um, and it 's not a new thing uh, Augustine, one of the church 's greatest early theologians, a the guy that lived around the year 400, you know, 15, 1,600 years ago, uh, talked about this very thing. Um, and he basically says, I, I won't read you the whole quote, um, he basically says that there was a pear tree next to where he grew up. And sometimes he and his buddies would go and steal pears. For, it was not theirs, right? They would go and steal these pears. And he said they weren't really good. They didn't taste very good. We didn't do anything with them. We went and dumped them out later. Really, the only reason we did it is just because we weren't supposed to. Um, he says, I loved my error, not that for which I erred, but the error itself. It was foul, and I loved it. I loved my own undoing. Right? He's saying the same thing, that you and I, are, because of the fact that we're sinners, we like to do wrong oftentimes just because it's wrong. And so it really flies into the face, I think, of the way that we tend to think of ourselves a lot. I think that we tend to think of ourselves as... We're, when it comes down to it, we're good people with some bad stuff kind of sprinkled in there. But at the core, we're good. And the Bible says that that's, it's actually the opposite. That down to our core, we're broken and sinful and depraved and messed up people. It's really not a pretty picture. And so I... I bring that up to make one application in regard to dating and marriage and whatnot. Um, and it's this. I want, I want you to see that a big part of, of sexual attraction or, or, or the lure of sexuality to, to many of you, you know, whatever that means, hooking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, um, sleeping with them, pornography, uh, lustful thoughts, whatever it is, That a big part of that allure for us is often nothing more than the fact that it's wrong. Okay, now, why do I say that? I say that for this reason: that that really what we've referred to, that many of you what you have referred to as your sex drive, right? Just just got these urges, is really nothing more than than the than the thrill that you get because it's wrong. It's really nothing more than the love of the pursuit of being a little more dangerous and a little more dirty or a little dirtier, I guess. Um, and here's the sad reality. Here's why I feel obligated to tell you this. Because some of you are going to find out that, that that what you thought would be uh, that the reason you couldn't, you know, you can't keep your hands off, your, you know, off each other uh, while you're dating and you think that that basically marriage is going to ultimately solve that problem, right? Because it's basically going to be like that and everything else I want 24-7. And what you're going to find out, I'm afraid, many of you, some of you, you know, just in the marriage, maybe six months in the marriage, maybe a year, maybe two years into marriage, is that really a lot, of the, a lot of that excitement is gone. And the reason is because it's not wrong anymore. And what I'm afraid of is that you'll begin to find it somewhere else, right? In another relationship, heading deeper into pornography. Um, and so we love to do wrong for no other reason than it, it thrills us. And we have to be careful um, because it's going to destroy a lot of relationships. Secondly, so we see that we, we just love to rebel. It's a big part of what we love. Uh, secondly... Because of our selfishness, we love to blame other people. Um, this is very clear in the passage, right? It's almost funny. Um, where is it? Verse 11. God essentially asks Adam, what did you do? And Adam says, it, was, it, it wasn't me. It was her. It was, it, was, it was the one. And he really kind of blames God, too, right? He said, no, no, it wasn't me. It was It was, it was her. He really blames guy. He says, It was a woman that you put here with me. Right? And so he goes to Eve and he says, Well, so what did you do? He said, It wasn't me. I didn't do it. The serpent made me do it. Right? Devil made me do it. The buck gets passed all the way down the line. Right? Um, nobody wants to admit that they did wrong. And they're very, not only do they not want to admit they did wrong, but they're very quick to show that it's their fault and not my fault. I want you to think about how radically selfish that is, right? Um, you know, certainly it's a form of, that, of of hiding, like we talked about last week. We don't, we don't want people to see the real us, and so we say, look, look at them, look at them, they're worse than me. Um, we, don't want to see, we don't want people to see the, the bad stuff about us. But notice that it's not just, it's not just a lie. Adam doesn't just say, no, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, how did you know that you were naked? I just kind of figured it out, right? He doesn't just lie. He is really quick to throw Eve under the bus. Now think about it. This, this is 15 verses, however long that translates into time. 15 verses before, Adam is singing a love song over this woman. She is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is the, you know, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm so in love. 15 verses later, he's like, it's her fault and she should go down for it. Not me. I mean that's that's pretty shocking, and we tend to do the same things, of course, right? We're we're radically committed to ourselves, and so we'll throw anybody else under the bus if we get the chance. Um, and you know how devastating that is in our relationships. We say things like, you know, look, look, I know I'm not perfect. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but seriously, you really need to think about. You know, such and such. Um, look, I know it's I know it's a problem that I whatever, and I need to work on that. But you have got to stop. filling in the blank, right? Um, he's the one that's always you know, or she's the one that uh, you know. I this is a classic. I know I probably shouldn't have said that, but she knew that was going to make me mad, right? She knows the buttons to push. I mean, yeah, yeah, I flew off the handle and I shouldn't have, but she knew she was going to make me mad. You and I tend to work under the assumption that the real problem is out there and not in here. And I think the big application for us here is that you and I have to realize that that fundamentally, in our relationships, our sin is the biggest problem. You have to look at you know if you, in regard to your dating the only way your dating relationship is really going to hold together at all is if is if you come to the conviction that your sin is bigger than theirs you have to see that your sin is the real problem and not theirs and so by the way right now if you happen to be thinking <laughs> you know, all right, yeah, okay, whatever, um, you don't know my girlfriend, right? Um, you talk about problems. Um, or if you're thinking, good night, I hope I don't marry one of those people, right? I got news for you. It's you, right? You're sick. <laughs> that's, that's classic evidence of you got it. <laughs> you're the one I'm talking to. Um, if you think you don't have it, it means you've got it worse than anybody else in here. <laughs> Um, our relationships tend to go wrong because we blame each other. Um, and wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if we if we looked more and said, you know what, the real problem here is me. I need to deal with myself. Not, not in a naive way, but if we, if we understood our own sin. Uh, if we didn't have such a hard time admitting we were wrong. Thirdly and lastly, we're suspicious of each other. Our relationships suffer because in our selfishness, our selfishness evidences itself by being suspicious of each other. Um, and we're suspicious of each other because we don't trust each other. Um, and we don't trust each other really because we don't trust God. Um, and I think we see that here in this passage in verse 4 and 5. Um, Verse 4 and 5. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to God, You will not surely die. right? Um, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Um, You see what the serpent did? We talked about this a little bit last week. That that what what Satan did was get Eve to think about it. He basically said... You know, I, I, I'm just saying, just make an observation. I'm not so sure that, uh, that, he's, that he's really looking out for you like he says he is. I mean, again, I'm not coming to any conclusions, but if God really did love you, would, wouldn't he let you eat of whatever you wanted? And they begin to think, yeah, maybe, maybe God is holding back the good stuff from me. Maybe God doesn't have my best interests at heart. Maybe he is... Uh, he is, um, you know, working this whole scheme for his benefit and keeping me on the outside. Maybe we don't need to listen to him anymore. And so with that thought, they, uh, you know, they take and eat of the fruit. And there's, because they're suspicious. They don't trust him. And so they, they act, they operate on their own. They step out in rebellion and act, uh, you know, they do what they want to do. And fundamentally, as as sinners... You and I are naturally in our natural state, suspicious of God. Right? We do the same thing. We worry that he's that he's going to take advantage of us. Um, that he doesn't care for us, just like that. You know that he says he does. You know when we go through difficult circumstances, when you have a death in the family, when you get sick, uh, when you're you know uh, your parents are getting divorced, your family life's going haywire. Um, you know whatever it is, right? Uh, when you, when your own sin is is sort of has grips on you in ways that oftentimes it doesn't, um, it's easy to begin to think, if God really loved me, if he really did care about me, then then, why would, then this wouldn't be happening. He wouldn't let stuff like that happen. Uh, when we hear his commands, right, we, think, uh, we tend to read those as he's holding back the good stuff. Right? Why, why would he want to keep that from me? We see poverty and oppression in the world and disease and hatred and racism. And we're suspicious that God... We're suspicious of Him. That He... If he, were really, if he really cared, wouldn't He fix some of this stuff? Since we don't trust Him, we don't trust each other. Because we know everybody else is just like us. We've been burned by other people in the past, right? Um, we know better than to trust other people. Um, and we see it in our dating lives... And I think I'm going to have to narrow the, the scope here on the guys a lot. Um, I think one, one of the vivid ways you see this in dating relationships is that girls are just suspicious of guys because so often guys have had, uh, had the track record of, of taking advantage of girls sexually, right? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. Um, because guys have abused girls so often. Look, girls abuse guys too. I get it. But what it does is it makes people suspicious. And we don't trust each other. And the more that, the more that two people don't trust each other, obviously, uh, as that trust exits the relationship, um, the relationship begins to fall apart. It, it ravels really quickly into bitterness and and hatred, and it just falls apart. And so look, I'm certainly not saying that we just need to blindly trust everybody. And, um, But you have to see that fundamentally we're suspicious of one another, and what that does is put us at odds. We begin to assume that people are going to take advantage of us and hurt us. All right, so let's end with this. What do we do with all that? You know, you might be sitting there and thinking... Okay, wow, This. <laughs> glad I came tonight. That was a lot of fun. Um, basically, he just told me how terrible everything is and how I'm never going to find a girlfriend. Um, I see the problem, so what's the answer? Well, first I think it's important to say what the answer is not. Okay? If you're tracking with me and you, you get the problem and you know from your own experience uh, that there's a deep problem in your heart with relation, you know, in regard to you versus everyone else, What's the answer? The answer is not what I what I don't want you to do. What God and the, the Bible is telling you not to do is to take this, take this information, right, and go buckle down and try to do better. Now, look, is there a sense in which it is saying that? Of course, right. Of course, you should leave here and, and try not to be selfish, right, and, and work. But, but that can't be the fundamental answer, right? That can't be the, the take home point. That what you leave with is, "Wow, I am screwed up, and I've got to fix it, or no one is going to like me. Certainly, no one's going to love me." It's not where the answer starts. And many, I would, in fact, I know every one of every one of you in here knows this, right? Because you've tried it. You've tried to stop whatever that sin is, um, whether it's selfish, you know, whatever it is. You've tried, you've heard the speaker, or you read that Bible verse, and you said, okay, for real this time, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to stop, or I'm going to start, whatever. And you know it doesn't work. It might work for a little while, but it just doesn't last, right? And so we've said all along that the dysfunction in our relationships with one another, that it ultimately stems from our broken relationship with God, and so the answer has to lie. The answer has to lie there also, right? The answer has to lie in the restoration of that relationship. Healing has to take place there before it can take place in us and with each other. All right. So you might be thinking, how in the world can those two things be connected? And, and I understand that. But the way they're connected is this: because of the gospel. They're connected because of the good news of Jesus Christ, right? The bad news is that you and I are naturally suspicious of God, and we don't trust Him. And so we, we strike out on our own, live for ourselves, and we, we ruin ourselves and each other. But the good news is that God loves us in such a way that He answers our suspicion, right? If the question is, I, I'm not sure you love me like you say, or like, you know, Way says at RUF or whatever, The answer comes in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If that's our question to God, which I'm trying to present to you that fundamentally it is, the answer to that question is the entirety of Jesus' life and death. Does God love me? Is he out for my good? It's like he says, here's your answer. And he sends his son, Jesus, right, His, his only son. He sends him to earth. And Jesus willingly goes to earth, and he, he lives a perfect life. He, he, he leaves the glories of heaven, and he, and he comes to live here. Live among selfish people. Interact with us. And, and he comes and he lives a perfect life so that he can give it to us. And he earns righteousness that, that we're not able to earn. And I think in some ways, ultimately, we see it on the cross right all these things that we've talked about what do you see on the cross how is what does jesus look like on the cross in a sense well you see him you see him take on insecurity and fear right i mean even just before the cross in the garden you see jesus so overwhelmed i mean i want to say scared so to speak we're going to put that in quotes right So overwhelmed by what he's about to face, that he prays to God that they're not that it not happen. Talk about insecurity and fear, right? That we talked about last week. And then on the cross, he he cries out that that really weird, you know, from, from a psalm. He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't call him Father like he always has. He takes on our insecurity and our fear. He also hangs there physically naked, right? He takes on our our nakedness. We talked about that when we talked about hiding. We don't like to be naked in front of people. We like to put on, you know, I want you to see what I want you to see. Jesus hangs there naked. He hangs there punished for our rebellion, right? We love to rebel just because it feels good. And just because we want to. He's on the cross taking on our rebellion. And he takes on the blame. We love to pass the buck, right? Wasn't me, it was her. Wasn't me, it was him. You know, it was the snake. And the buck's got to stop somewhere. And I want you to see that on the cross, Jesus says, The buck will stop with me, I will take all of the blame. I'll take the insecurity, the fear. Let me start over. I'll take your insecurity. I'll take your fear. I'll take your suspicion of God. I'll take your sin. And I'll take all the blame and I'll put it on myself. And he does that so that God can declare us to be innocent. So that God can can look at us the same way that he looks at Jesus. So that we can be secure, right? Out of the cross comes a, actually a, a little bit of security. I can actually go into a dating relationship and sort of begin to reveal myself and all of its ugliness to this person because I know that if they reject me, ultimately that's okay. Because I know what, I know what God thinks about me. It's not fun, but I can, I can date with some security. I don't have to hide as much. I begin to not rebel. Uh, I don't blame other people as much. Right? Because I'm motivated, by, I'm motivated by the truth of what Jesus has done for me. And that, that's the difference. That's the motivation. That's where it creeps into your life and it begins to change you. Not because you say, I will not. Alright, here it is. It is Wednesday, 6.30. I'm not doing it anymore. But because you, it has to be motivated out of a love for Jesus, uh, for what he's done for you, for me. Let me end with Romans eight thirty two. Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, with him graciously give us all things? God answers our suspicion of him by making his love, his love for us transparent. Right? If he's willing to give us his son, Paul says, Why why would he not why would he hold back anything else? And he offers it to you for free. So won't you take it? Let's pray. Jesus, we have a hard time believing that. We have our minds can scarcely catch up to that fact. That you would find in your people, um, though not in and of ourselves, but that you would count us worthy of that love is beyond us. But Jesus, I pray that you would break into our hearts and change them. Lord, and make us, uh, make us to see that, that you really do offer yourself and your love for free. And that so far from uh, giving us a reason to be suspicious of you as we are, Lord, we should, we should fall on our faces in worship and worship and gratitude and praise and thanksgiving because you're good. Father, I pray that would be true of us, uh, every one of us tonight. And if it's not, would you make it so? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand up for one last song.